0: This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a
1: loved one with Nicole Cleggett. Here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you. A service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Thank you so much for joining us, Jason Kong, here with Nicole Cleggett of Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you doing?
2: I am good. I am glad to have my power back. Uh, I'm glad always that, helps. Yes, I had my house. I had 16 inches of rain. From that storm
1: oh my goodness
2: and we were literally canoeing in my backfield
1: well so you know, it was <laughs> you could have opened a small theme park if you wanted it to. was
2: wild but i survived and i have three children that are still alive because <laughs> they didn't get killed by their mother <laughs> but no they, all was well we uh we weathered the storm luckily and um have we are so grateful to have our power back for sure
1: yeah absolutely um you know i, I think we really dodged the bullet here in the in the triangle with the weather that we got but um you know, we'll just keep plowing along and we'll do our best to help our friends out east and the southeast of the state because, man, it's it's going to be a, a long road to hoe for those folks. But uh, we've got important things of our own to address we here tonight, do. Nicole, and we're going to um, we be talking a lot about what we normally talk about, and that's uh, caregiving. And, you know, sometimes you can kind of see that, oh, I I may be in this caregiving role or, Mm -hmm. you know, you can kind of look ahead and see and sometimes you can't, sometimes you're just in it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it's important to sort of set expectations for our listeners who maybe aren't in that role yet and sort of give them an idea of, okay, what can you expect? What are some of the best practices? And we've got a great guest tonight who can help us do that.
2: We sure do, you know, and I kind of think about it, you know, we were all so obsessed with watching that hurricane kind of trick across the Mm -hmm. ocean, right, and literally every day it moved inches and inches and inches. Well, similarly, we can really be tracking our loved ones in a a very similar way and actually know when things are gonna hit. We just don't tend to do that. We don't tend to be very proactive. And um, if anything, uh, it could've taught us how to be proactive was actually kind of looking at that storm coming our way. So I'm very pleased to have today with us Dr. John Meyer with Wake Internal Medicine and Pediatrics. And he's really gonna help us walk along that road, help us figure out what things we should be looking out for Related to our loved ones, um, when we might start to see them going down that slippery slope, and and really how to handle that, and how to have some of those uh, tough conversations. Welcome, Dr. Meyer.
3: Thank you for the opportunity.
2: Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about that. You know, you have a very unique uh, perspective as a physician. You see patients day out, day in and day out, year after year. You watch them sort of kind of grow old along with you, and um, a lot of times you are probably someone who really notices a difference from appointment to appointment. But sometimes when when you're so close to it as a family member, I'm not sure if it's denial or what it is, but we don't necessarily notice the changes that are happening.
3: That's correct. And the patient is also very good at hiding things at times. They are. And they've developed very good techniques to keep things hidden. Mm-hmm. And it's very common for an acute health event to happen and they find themselves in the hospital or in my clinic and it's like, what happened to mom? What happened to dad? What happened to my spouse? Everything was fine, Mm -hmm. but then you have to take the time to start digging and asking questions. Well, have you seen, were they sort of covering up things, oh, they lost this, or they just made some excuses. Or they made (laughs) some excuses why they were late, but they actually got lost trying to drive over to to your house. Or they start recognizing that their health, they start coughing more, or they're Mm -hmm. getting more swelling, or their energy level goes down, and you realize they're not gonna share it with you, but in time you figure out, well, they're not taking their medicines. they're not taking their medicines properly Mm -hmm. or they don't understand how to do it and it's just so a lot of patients and their families are very close to it and don't as you said don't see Mm -hmm. these incremental small changes as that hurricane's getting closer and closer but if you step back and use your primary care doc and use other resources you can at least get a start getting a better perspective on things before it starts to go oh my god there's a hurricane that just dropped in on us.
2: Yes, for sure. I mean it, it is a, it is a really really big problem and I think sometimes too one of the things that happens with the family caregiver is that you know they're they're really busy with their own lives and things are going on with their loved one and they just want to believe this is just normal aging. You know, well, this is the way it's supposed to go. Mom's isolating herself in the house, and Mom's really tired, and Mom's, of course, Mom's out of breath, and of course, Mom's forgetful, and of course, and of course, and of course, because this is what normal aging looks like. So sometimes I'm not sure—is this just people wanting to think that because you know they don't really want to deal with that hurricane that's about to hit, or is it really just a lack of education?
3: It's probably both, mm-hmm. and I think the it's a lot of cultural elements of it too that mm-hmm. we either were willing to address or not willing to address. Um, we're dealing with a generation, I'm gonna call them the 60 plus year olds, who grew up where we don't talk about health and we don't talk about finances. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence, we find ourselves in situations where uh, we have to start talking about these things and, it's bef- and things that unfortunately have happened negatively. A lot of medicine has become so complex Mm-hmm. that it's hard for the layperson to start stepping back and seeing what are the symptoms of COPD versus mm-hmm. heart failure versus um, a chronic disease or a cancer. It's just, it smolders, and these things smolder and smolder, and the body can take incredible hits, as we call it in our, mm-hmm. in our, in our industry. But at some point, you hit that tip point where someone comes along and puts that straw on the camel's back, and the body just can't respond and it's just this tumbling downhill process and the lay person has no knowledge of these things right. or how to pick them out. Their loved one clearly most of the time has not been sharing with them, oh yeah, I've been going to the cardiologist, the pulmonologist, the nephrologist, my primary care doctor, you know, they're not sharing that with their family and all of a sudden it's like, you, you've you been going to who? Yeah. And how often? And right. you've been going to the urgent care you know, six times in the past two months. It's, so there's this awakening process of the family and the patient as things start to mount. And it's usually a triggering event. That really, uh, wait a minute, you know, all of a sudden we're rushing off the emergency room or we're rushing off to some specialist. And Mm -hmm. it's, then you sit down and you start figuring out, well, these, my mom or my patient or my, my sibling or my care, my loved one is seeing six different specialists mm-hmm. and no one's coordinating the medications and mom and dad or the, the patient's confused about how to take their medicines, when to take their medicines. And when you get up to about nine or 10 medications, mm-hmm. statistically, you're dealing with interactions. Yeah, and confusion, and if you got the, you take the blue one instead of the red one, and the, you know, then we're like, going to be in big and, trouble.
2: And then from one month to the next, the pharmacy changes who they get the medicine from, so the colors change anyway. Of course. So that uh, yeah, it's really yeah. tricky. But I'd like to go back just for a second sure. about you know that real issue that exists about privacy, and I'm not talking about HIPAA, I'm talking about internal to families, that those conversations that really we need to be having about changes in health status and why why we should be having them and really, how do you suggest people go about having those conversations? Because I can tell you, my own father to this day I mean, it's like pulling teeth for him to tell me where the, quote, box is, where the advanced directives are. And, you know, I'm sitting here, I work in this industry, and I still can't sometimes get him to tell me what I need to know just in case we have that triggering point. Because he certainly, I can tell by looking at him, has some stuff already going on, and all right. And and
3: not only am I a physician who tries to help patients and help their families, but personally, I just went through this with my mom Mm -hmm. a few years ago, and my father literally just passed a few days ago, who was in hospice. And it was like, where was it? We're literally, I'm a physician, yeah. and I'm trying to work with my father on, okay, can you please tell me what's going on? Can you please tell me? Well, the doctor told me to take this medication. Well, what medicine is it? Mm -hmm. And why are you taking it? Well, he just told me to take it. So um, to get back to this point of having that conversation, it's difficult. And there's different ways a loved one or caregiver can bring it up. One is, do you find an opportunity typically over a holiday to bring it up, no. which is typically when people want to talk about their health issues. Um, but that's
2: when we're together. Right, you know, there's,
3: you know, I, I tell my patients, okay, well, Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming up, so please ask around about colonoscopies and other issues that may people, you know, prostates and stuff like that, just and to get the information, so it's right? The stuff
2: tastes even better when you talk about that.
3: It's, 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 you know, it's, it's Thanksgiving and Christmas, that's what people talk about for some reason. The other thing you can do is use a facilitator. And that facilitator could be their primary care physician, mm-hmm. it could be a pastor, it could be a close friend who's gone through things. And you feel that you need to bring somebody in to be a third party, and how that third party can then help with that, this process.
1: Yeah, and just getting the conversation started, I think, is is so key to getting the ball rolling and to opening those lines of communication and to help plan for uh, any sort of caregiving situation. Well, we've got more that we want to ask Dr. John Meyer. He's with Wake Internal Medicine and Pediatrics. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF.
0: This is Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason
1: Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, Care and Comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. I want to remind you if you want to find more information about Transitions Life Care, you can go to transitionslifecare.com. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Our special guest this evening is Dr. John Meyer. He's with Wake Internal Medicine and Pediatrics. And, Nicole, I thought you made a a brilliant analogy earlier in the program. brilliant. When you were talking about how, uh, you know, everyone was preparing for the hurricane. Yeah. uh, A big potential disaster. And it was a big disaster. Um, But what if we took the same approach to caregiving? And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the, the big key is actually planning and preparing.
2: Well, the reality is it's coming. Yeah. I Mm -hmm. mean, there's going to be some health incident that we all have. We're not going to get out of here alive. So something's going to happen and somebody's going to have to deal with it when we're not able to for ourselves. And so I think the next thing we really need to touch on is really how do we plan for that? How do we make sure that our loved ones aren't swept up in um, the whole health care system and trying to figure out what to do when we can, during a time when we have our capacities, make some of those decisions when we're all in our right mind and not dealing with a crisis?
3: Yep. And it's those crisis situations that press the family, Mm -hmm. press the caregivers, press the patient. And it typically happens at three o'clock in the morning and the family finds themselves in emergency room. Now it's in the afternoon. They're still in the Mm -hmm. emergency room for 10 hours, trying to figure out what's going on. Everyone's
2: Cranky, cranky, <laughs> tired,
3: yeah. um, living off of hospital food, and then it's the doctors <laughs> you know, a little bit, and the doctors walk in and say, "We finally have some information to talk about." Yeah. and the patient's exhausted, the family's exhausted, the emotional fuses are mm-hmm. about the size, you know, or yeah. uh, micro size, and yeah. it just things don't go well as mm-hmm. could as well as they could have, mm-hmm. and I think planning, planning, planning is important. Um, It was drilled into me when I was growing up, the seven Ps, which are proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance. (laughs) And the intent here with my patients and their caregivers is to say, let's sit down and talk about what we're going to do. We mentioned earlier about how do we facilitate that conversation in a group Mm -hmm. that's not comfortable talking about it. We can hopefully some of the, the caregivers or children or spouse stand up and say, look, Time out, we got to do this.
2: Or physicians. Or the, or the physician. <laughs> say, hey. Or the patient says, yeah.
3: hey, here's what I want.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Most of the time in our culture, which I've found, it's usually the physician. Mm-hmm. And I encourage when I'm starting a concern, I say, I want that patient to come in with family members. And that's when I, I'll plan 45 minutes to an hour, because mm-hmm. that's what it's going to take. Oh,
2: yeah, it's not a 15 minute visit. Oh, this visit. is not a 15 minute yeah. visit. <laughs>
3: yeah. Don't even think about it.
2: Yeah.
3: And we got to sit down and say, okay, Let's figure out where we are, what we're going to do, mm-hmm. and what are the wishes right um, and I, there's a lot of things we have to go through, and many people don't understand it. so there's health care power of attorney, financial power of attorney, there's the living will. A lot of people have quote unquote living wills, but they're so generic and so bland that it yeah, doesn't it doesn't help anybody, doesn't help anybody mm-hmm. especially when pa- when family members or spouses or caregivers have to make important decisions. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really important as soon as possible, everybody together. Mm -hmm. And if we had to get people on the phone, we'll get people on the cell phone and have a conference call because I need to make sure everybody's on the same plane. And I want the patient ideally to say, here's what I want and here's what I don't want. Mm -hmm. So everybody clearly understands it and we document it. Mm -hmm. And there's different ways we can document it. One of them is a thing called a MOST, MOST form, it's Mm -hmm. pink. Mm -hmm. And it has in there different levels of care. Do you want to be resuscitated or not? Mm -hmm. Do you want IV fluids? Do you want a feeding tube? Do you want IV antibiotics or oral antibiotics? There's all these levels of care you can specify, but at least everybody knows what it is Mm -hmm. and where it is. (laughs) That's key. key. (laughs) So one of the things for the caregiver is to, literally, you have to put together a three ring binder. Mm -hmm. Um, And you become, and must be that the patient has to be an advocate for him or herself, but mm-hmm. when they can't be, the caregivers got to stand up in our American healthcare system mm-hmm. and be that advocate.
2: So if I can stop you for a second, so it's super important to pick the right loved one that can handle this, because not everybody can. You have people in your family that are going to be, when there's a crisis, they fall apart. You have people in your family that are going to be, when there's a crisis, they're going to do what they want for you, not what you want for you, and you're going to have people in your family that can actually be that person and it may not be a spouse and it may not be a son or a daughter it may right. be a, a close friend
3: right and that and that is important mm-hmm. because it helps diffuse the stress mm-hmm. and our responsibility is to stand in the shoes of the patient that's key not what i want not what we want not what the spouse the children or whomever want we have responsibility to stand in their shoes and do what they want right um the other element of this is that, you know, is a DNR DNI form, mm-hmm. which is a yellow form. It says it's you talk about it with the patient, the family. It can be rescinded at any point in time. Mm-hmm. This is not when you go and talk to your doctor and fi- sign these things, this is not, you know, the end of all ends. Right. It's not written this instant. is just yeah. <laughs> Here's some guiding principles. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean we're not re- we're taking away care. This is how I feel today. But it this end. is just mm-hmm. where I want to go. Mm-hmm. And that DNR, DNI form is do not resuscitate, which means don't do chest compressions essentially. Mm-hmm. And do not intubate, basically means put a breathing tube down that patient you put this on the refrigerator and you put this on the wall in the living room when it's closer to the end of life. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Um, But you put that in your three ring binder. Mm -hmm. So everyone knows it's on the kitchen table. So when EMS comes crashing in at three o'clock in the morning, there's the data and everyone approaches it calm, cool and collect. Mm -hmm. Um, Other elements of it are outlining those things that you do and do not want as things progress. Um, and those could be the, the do you want to be at home? Do you want hospice? Do you want hospice at home? Do you want hospice at a facility? Mm-hmm. Um, when are we going to say enough is enough? Mm-hmm. Um, I call it the merry-go-round, mm-hmm. which is the patient gets ill. You go to the emergency room after 12, 14 hours, the emergency room, you get transferred to somewhere in the hospital. Once you're stable enough, they go, you're tired. You're not strong enough to go home, you go to a rehab facility, nursing home, you get strong enough, you go back home. And then it just keeps going. Right,
2: because you never go back as strong as you were. That's a key point. You constantly step down. That's
3: a key point Mm -hmm. in the language of our business is the patient takes a hit. Mm -hmm. And you're gonna go down a couple steps. You'll come up, but you're never gonna be at the level you were before. And there's just this, this is part of life. It's this steady downward process. And at some point, it's like pushing on a rubber band. You're going to figure out that all these treatments, all the medicines, really aren't doing anything anymore. And when are we going to be able to say enough is enough?
2: Well, that's a particularly hard thing, and it's really hard in areas like ours, where we have such amazing teaching hospitals and all of these trials. And Mm -hmm. you know, I work with families all the time that, well, my mom's such a fighter, and you know, she doesn't want to give up. And and so, saying enough is enough. People make it, you know, well, she's giving up and she's not that weak of a person and we don't want her to give up. So how do you have that type of conversation? Because a lot of times families are really struggling with that piece because there's always just another chance to make something better, it seems.
3: Well, the the focus has to be the quality Mm -hmm. of the life and how does that person want to be Mm -hmm. and where do they want to be?
2: So six months of an extension of life where you're bedbound versus... Three you know.
3: months of going out to the farm and hanging out and right. doing stuff with your grandkids or your other loved ones you that patient has to make that decision and or if it's dementia or something where the point where the patient's not capable of that standing in their shoes what would they want would they want to be able to wake up in the morning and sit on their deck and look at the ocean or look out at the fields or look at the mountains or they want to be in room C-132 with bells and whistles. And and just pe- sort of
2: checking off the additional days. Days.
3: There's it, yeah. it really comes down to quality and pressing the, the the caregivers to please, please, please look at quality of life. We have technology. Yeah. We have phenomenal technology to extend life. Mm-hmm.
2: We can replace almost every single part we have, can't we? Right. We're getting close to it. <laughs> almost it's a brain. Almost, <laughs> and
3: probably in a couple generations yeah. we'll be able to do that, too. Yeah. We'll put some you know plugins for it um, or some app there'll probably be an <laughs> app for it app. <laughs> there'll be an app for that probably somewhere um but it's it's an important role also in this is challenging the healthcare system the doctors and at, at all the specialties everyone is f- exceptional everyone's doing the best of their ability in that specialty mm-hmm. but someone has to stand up and say wait a minute
2: it's fragmented
3: it's very fragmented and it's not coordinated. Mm-hmm. There's a significant impression out there that well, all these electronic medical records, they must talk to each other. No, they don't. <laughs> so that three ring binder becomes very important, especially if you're seeing multiple specialists that bring that information in to everywhere you touch the healthcare system. Because one specialist will change in medicine, that may interact with another one, that specialist for the nephrologist may not know the cardiologist, and you put those two together and you do not have a good outcome.
2: Well, and I think a really important thing to note is it's so important is to have one pharmacy.
3: Yes, <laughs> we call it a home. Yes. So you wanna have a medical home, mm-hmm. one primary care doc, that's where everything goes. Mm-hmm. You want a, a hospital home. This is where everything is, because all of the records are there. Mm-hmm. You want a pharmacy home, so all the records are there bouncing around just creates more confusion (laughs) and it could kill you and you're gonna go through a whole bunch of tests you just don't need
1: yeah Um, yeah it's it's so important to sort of have that overview as opposed to just looking at things with binoculars you need to sort of zoom out and be able to see the entire landscape because otherwise as you guys hinted at uh you could find yourself in a potential disaster, which would not be very good. We want to try to avoid that. Well, we've got some more important tips for you, so stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of transitions life care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is
0: Aging Matters Care and Comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host,
1: Jason Kong. News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. You can also find plenty of information about our caregiver summits at caregiversummit.org. And Nicole, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the caregiver summits and uh, how useful a resource those are and uh, how they can help folks coming up here very soon. But, um, you know, let's right now, while we have the time, let's sort of see if we can put folks in the shoes. Of a caregiver and sort of set those expectations.
2: Yeah, you know, um, I, you know, representing a community resource, I certainly work with caregivers all the time. But I can well imagine, uh, Dr. Meyer, that you have worked with hundreds, if not thousands, of family caregivers over the years, and I'm sure you're, you see a general pattern of sort of what a family might expect, really, regardless of the disease. There's there is sort of a general sort of experience that the caregiver has.
3: That's correct, and that each disease process has its own Mm -hmm. way it's gonna play out Mm -hmm. um, and how healthy that individual is or isn't. But the general perspective of it is usually there's an event that shocks the patient, shocks the system and shocks the family um, and it starts triggering all these questions about, oh my God, you know, we are actually mortal, mm-hmm. um, and what are we going to do, and how are we going to, how, what are we gonna, what, what resources do we have, mm-hmm. and it's key to make sure that the the caregiver realizes that please, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Reach out to family members, reach out to your primary care physician, reach out to the community resources, be it the church, be it transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of resources you you're going to need to tap into. Because it is a can be an overwhelming time. It pra- can be
2: all-consuming, and the reality is, the caregivers often, while they're not alone, feel very isolated.
3: They do, and they actually become isolated because of because the time. Of the time. <laughs> yeah. The biggest message to everybody is understanding this is going to be a time sink, mm-hmm. your time, and it's going to consume. More and more and more. And you're going, by the way, you're going to be trying to juggle a job, mm-hmm. and you may have a spouse, and you may have children, mm-hmm. or you may have other community responsibilities, and that's all going to get stressed. Yes. And I can, at different phases of the process of working with the patient and the caregiver, at times I'm actually caring for the caregiver more than I am for the patient. Yeah. Because I don't want, or can we allow that caregiver to become. A patient. And in that's this so common.
2: It, it happens. Oh yeah.
3: I mean very much so. And then unfortunately once someone does pass that caregiver, there's this big release and they're so worn out that now they're they're just they can get sick and whatnot.
2: They do. And the other thing is, is they have to learn how to reinvent themselves because right being a caregiver becomes so much part of their identity. And then when you have this big hole of time, it's it's almost like, it, you almost say it's not a letdown, but in some ways, you know, after you plan for a big event and you're going, going, going hard, and then it stops, you're just kind of like, well, what oh, do it's I do now?
3: Massive, and, and I've, they become depressed. Yeah, They become, uh, their anxiety goes up, yep. they don't sleep, mm-hmm. they don't eat, they don't exercise, and they're just, the, 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 the three things that should stay, the four things should stay inside the boat but in our culture, the first things we throw over is we don't sleep, mm-hmm. we don't make good food choices, we don't exercise, and we stop taking care of ourselves. Those are the last things you throw over the gun on the boat um, <laughs> as you're going into the storm. But back to this idea of planning, it's understanding this is going to be a more and more of a time sink. So understanding who's going to step in to do these other things for you or with you in caring for this loved one. Number two is understanding this is going to be a financial drain and how are we gonna play it out?
2: Medicare doesn't pay for this. Mostly. No, <laughs> and
3: the way Medicaid works, as most people may or may not know, is that you basically have to be broke yeah. before Medicaid kicks in. Um,
2: and the options are not great once it does, and from a community-based perspective.
3: Then it's extremely limited. Yeah. So sitting down and understanding where all the assets are, mm-hmm. where's all the money, um, people have these long-term care insurance plans. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, this is gonna kick in and go, it's very important to read the fine print mm-hmm. because there's a lots of nuances in these documents mm-hmm. that you do not understand that they are impressions of, mm-hmm. but they don't do anything what you think they're gonna do mm-hmm. vast majority of the mm-hmm. time. So lining out the money and understanding where the mm-hmm. money is, how much money there is and what are options because you can stay at home, you can have loved ones come in but they're gonna be losing salary, you could hire a, a nurse aide to come in, but you're looking at 24, $25 an hour. Mm-hmm. You could go to independent living, which you're now, you're, some of these places have buy-ins of 100, 200, a million, 100, <laughs> The sky's the limit, yeah, but yeah. there's minimum buy-ins of usually around $100,000. Mm-hmm. You could go to assisted living, and then you can go to all, full care. Not only are the buy-ins, but there's monthly fees. Mm-hmm. And these monthly fees, generally from my experience are 4000 to $7,000 yeah. a month. Mm-hmm. You're gonna, then that doesn't include your medicines. That doesn't include anything. That's basically a room and board mm-hmm. and maybe one, two meals per day. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be, we have to sit down and understand the financial component to it. Another big component to it is the emotions. And there's gonna be great days and there's gonna be challenging days. Mm-hmm. And stepping back and understanding this is a roller coaster. That this is part of life, mm-hmm. we need to be open about it, we need to be able to talk about it, we need to be able to show our emotions, not bottle them up um, and basically look out for each other um, and it's very trying
2: and I think you know, based on my experience, Dr. Meyer, what I have seen, and I 've been a family caregiver twice now, so and I've done this twice, so I think I should be learning from my own lessons and the next time. Is that when people enter into this role, you know, you have your superhero cape on. I often say, and you are full of energy, and I've got this, and I'm going to handle this, and it's all great. And people around you, you know, in the beginning of these typical illnesses, a lot of people, well, what can I do? Can I bring a meal? Can I help mow the lawn? Can I do that? Oh no, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. And then all of a sudden, damn, you hit a wall, and then you slip off the wall. But when that happens, people aren't around anymore because you've told them no so much. So I think it's super important after what you heard from Dr. Meyer that you know, in the beginning, when this first crisis hits, that you start allowing the support system to build around you, even if you don't necessarily need it. As he was mentioning, um, you know, we don't want to throw all those things outside the boat. Even if you don't feel like you need to keep doing some of those things right in the beginning, you do. And if you don't keep filling yourself up, you can't drink from an empty cup. And you will end up not weathering the storm well at all.
3: Right. And you alluded to it as And unfortunately, these caregivers become more and more isolated. Right. And depression, anxiety, sleep deprivation. And they get
2: resentful because people aren't offering to help when they need it. And it's really a lot of times because you pushed them away.
3: and and Because you have your superhero. Right. It's part of our American culture. We can do this. We got got it. it. Super mom, super whatever. And reality, what I try to tell my patients, we're all human. Mm -hmm. Let's just allow ourselves to be human. Mm -hmm. And let's figure out, get that meal train set up. You, you did it for your neighbor, guess what? In, in the long run, everything comes out in the wash. Yes. And it's okay to ask for help. You can say, set up the meal train, don't need it right now, I'll keep you in the loop about when we're gonna need it. People at, there's retirees at the churches who like to maybe drive patients around and, and, and give yep. back that way.
2: Or sit with a loved one and so you can one, go get one, your hair done or something. Right, I mean.
3: there's college kids, yep. quite candidly, which is, you know depending upon where you live, that are always looking for opportunities to give out and give be part of the community and, and, and give back.
2: Definitely, so what else?
3: Um, I think the understanding, I guess, one of the, the resources is yeah. that we have a lot of stuff in the state, we do. but also in the counties. Understanding what those resources are, both at the Department of Health and Human Services, the Department of Aging, um, your church, your congregation, um, your primary care physician. Other elements of it are like Meals on Wheels, um, there are volunteer organizations that will come out and visit with you, both through the university. Sororities, fraternities, quite candidly, will come and take care of their own. If mm-hmm. you were one of those, you go yep. attached to UNC or Chapel Hill or NC or State. Or any civic group, Or really. any civic group mm-hmm. will come out and help. Um, another element of it is the, um, if I
1: could say, is when when do we call in palliative care and when do we call in hospitals?
2: And I would love to get to that in the next segment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We'll do that right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, Care and Comfort That Surrounds You, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging
0: Matters, Care and Comfort That Surrounds You on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co-host, Nicole Cleggett, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong.
1: You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Our guest this evening is Dr. John Meyer. He's with uh, Wake Internal Medicine and Pediatrics, and we're talking all about the caregiver experience, Nicole. And I know we need to get to the uh, Caregiver Summits uh, just a little bit later in this segment here, but uh, you know, we, we left off on a, an important message here.
2: We did, you know, um, I think it's so important to really touch on what types of services are available toward end of life. And we sort of teased on it a little bit earlier in the show, but hospice and palliative care, and palliative care is a really big word. Um, they are two great options to really help that family member get some additional support when the caregiving requirements are very, very high.
3: And it's important to call them in earlier rather than later. Oh, gosh,
2: yes. Preach it to the choir.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Only in the sense, the perspective of we always have to, this entire process is about standing in the shoes of the patient. Mm -hmm. What is the best interest of my loved one, the patient, and how to optimize the quality of life? Again, we have quantity of life mechanisms in our healthcare systems, but really the question becomes, well, when is enough enough and when do we just say stop?
2: And that doesn't um, mean hastening down. No, yeah. And sometimes not at all. people think that's what it no. means.
3: In fact, it's interesting is that the evidence, recent research shows that actually being engaged in palliative care and hospice actually extends life yes. and the quality of the life. Mm-hmm. And that's new to people, new in our culture because there's this presumption, well, we have all this technology, we can do all this stuff, When reality comes back to, if you actually get back to the human element. The
2: arms around.
3: The human element has a better impact and and stronger impact than all the technology does.
2: And you know, working with caregivers who have uh, experienced hospice, I can tell you that there is a lot of guilt after the person dies, not for putting them on hospice, for not putting them on hospice sooner.
3: And getting palliative care involved. Mm -hmm. And people have this concern that we're walking away Mm -hmm. from my loved one, we're giving up. No, you're not. Mm-hmm. It's about saying, this is a terminal disease. You know, you have end-stage heart disease, COPD, cancer. We're not gonna change the train. The train has left the station. <laughs> but how do we wanna manage it? You know, does it doesn't mean we're gonna stop therapy. Right. Does it doesn't mean we're gonna stop the medications. doesn't mean you stop going to PT. Does it doesn't mean any of those things. It means as long as we're having an impact, we're gonna continue it. But let's look at a cross-sectional team that can come in and start saying, okay, well, what additional resources do you need? I can tell that the caregiver is exhausted. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out how to get a break in here for that individual. Can social work help? Can can the chaplains help? Um, Can, what are the local community resources that the palliative care crew can bring in, get this patient better quality of life, get them transported, not leaning on the family member to do all that. So palliative care does not mean stopping, mm-hmm. it just means we understand that the train has left the station, still going, cranking, we're still gonna consider chemo, we're still gonna consider the oral medications or injection medications, mm-hmm. but we're just gonna be realistic here.
2: It's about providing comfort and right. quality.
3: Right, and I look at the way I describe it is sort of a rubber band. Mm-hmm. As long as you can push on that rubber band and you're getting some response, keep pushing, mm-hmm. right? But at some point, just the human body, mm-hmm. the disease process, you're gonna be pushing that rubber band, it's gonna be doing jack squat. <laughs> In fact, it's gonna potentially start doing harm.
2: Yeah.
3: And that's when you gotta step up and say, okay, is it time that we can need to say enough is enough and start pulling back? Do we need these medications? Mm-hmm. When they, we go to the specialist and they say, well, we need to do one more MRI to evaluate where the disease is. You have to ask, the caregiver has to stand up and say, why?
2: Well, yeah, and I have family caregivers that I work with all the time, and they are—they're feeling it in their hearts. It's time to look at hospice, for example, but their doctors won't say it.
3: That's an interesting comment about our profession. Yeah. And it's very hard for doctors. Yeah. And because of our cultures, we've got it, and I'm—I'm it's, it's, going to do everything I've got in my billywhack and, and my—I can. My job is—I to, took an oath to give everything I got to fix, fix, fix. And sometimes that momentum just can't be stopped. And there is a role for the caregiver to perhaps at times, you got to stand up, literally stand up, fit in the room and say, stop. A more polite way of doing it is to start saying, asking why. And why are we going to do this test? Is it going to change how we're managing my loved one? Mm-hmm. And most of the time, in actually facilitating your doctors, and it's usually the specialists, quite candidly. Mm-hmm. Nothing against the specialist, right. but that's what they wanna do, right. and that's even the primary care docs right. wanna do. But at some point, we gotta say, okay, you, your role is to start asking why. Mm-hmm. And is it gonna change the direction of this train, mm-hmm. and is it gonna make a difference? Putting someone in an MRI for three hours is not a pleasant experience. No or doing more tests or more putting more needles in things. It's just, the pushing the rubber ain't gonna do
2: anything. Right.
3: So that's when hospice can come in. Yeah.
2: so when do we know? How do we, what are some of the earlier signs that people should be looking at to, to say, geez, maybe we should be accessing this sooner than later?
3: There's an intuitive gut piece to mm-hmm. this that the family member and the patient can step back and say, just gut check right gut check you know i last round of chemo or the last round i was in the hospital for my heart failure
2: took mom six weeks to recover and it used to
3: be (laughs) like one week bang up and out now it's six weeks and she's still in the bed Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and
3: dad just looks wiped out Mm -hmm. and they're just tired and that's when you have to start stepping up and say okay when is this is we're getting to the point of saying we're not getting any bang for the buck and we got to stop and say okay we're gonna start pulling back and how do we want this to play out? Mm-hmm. And it's about the family and standing in that patient's shoes and creating those memories.
2: Well, I have to say, uh, this has been an awesome conversation with you, Dr. Meyer, and I'm quite sure that probably 100% of the people listening want to become your patient now. Are you expe- accepting <laughs> new patients?
1: <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, Dr. John Meyer with Wake Internal Medicine and Pediatrics. You can find more information at wakemed.org. Wakemed.org. And Nicole, we've got uh, just a few minutes here before we got to get out of here, but it's enough time for us to remind everyone that we've got two caregiver summits coming up.
2: We do. I like to say we are bookending the month of October. We have our first caregiver summit on uh, Tuesday, October 2nd at Campbell University over there in Buies Creek. And we have our second one, uh, which is actually our largest caregiver summit in Raleigh at the McKimmon Conference Center on October 30th. And the whole idea behind these caregivers summits is really to help you prepare as a family caregiver to get you connected to resources. You know, at Raleigh alone, we have over 90 exhibitors that are going to be present there to get you connected to educational opportunities. You know, we have four concurrent sessions going on all about the topics that we talked about today, the business of caregiving, planning in advance, even some special discussions about particular diseases. And then we also want you to walk away feeling like you are not alone and really connecting with other family caregivers and having some time for some really thoughtful conversations with other folks that are present there at the actual summits. And so I know that you've been present at some of those summits in the past, Jason. And um, you know, while, while these are huge ordeals to put on for all of us from a planning perspective, it is just worth its weight in gold. I walk out just truly feeling fueled for the next 12 months, just based off of the appreciation the families show us.
1: Yeah. I mean, even as just a, a visitor, you know, you, yeah. you feed off that energy there and you you hear about the things that Dr. Meyer was talking about and how important it is to be prepared and to know where the resources are and what's available. And there's, there's no better place to do it than these summits.
2: Well, and I have one person, you know, when people register, we just ask them out of curiosity, how many years have you been a family caregiver? And this year, somebody wrote 50 years. Oh my goodness. And I thought, wow. And they said, you know, I actually started out caregiving when I was a child for my mother who had MS. And then I got married and then my husband ended up having, you know, really significant heart issues. And then my father ended up having Alzheimer's disease. And so her entire life, has been as a caregiver and so she comes because it really helps her just fill back up and you know kind of give her some strength and she actually makes it a family weekend you know she has family members that come from out of town and it's her one weekend out of the year where she experiences some respite and then she kind of culminates it by attending the summit and she's been doing this since we've had the summits over the last 10 years
1: yeah it's it's a wonderful resource again caregiver summit. Org. That's the website to go to. We also have links at WPTF.com. Head over to the Aging Matters section. Uh, that's a great place to find more information and resources. You can also find this program tonight. You'll find that up there momentarily with Dr. John Meyer. And boy, if you have anyone who uh, is in a caregiving situation or who may be in one, you really want to send them this episode because Dr. Meyer just did a fantastic job. We are out of time. want to thank Dr. Meyer and also Nicole Cleggett for doing a wonderful job as always. I am Jason Kong thanking you for listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care on news radio 680 wptf have a great night
0: you've been listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you on news radio 680 wptf for more information log on transitionslifecare.org